As we begin this morning, I'd like to tell you a story about a good friend of mine I had in college. Her name was Brooke. And Brooke went to the church I went to, and she was, uh, I don't know, a year or two older than me or whatnot, but we had went to kind of a small church, so there was a kind of group of us that ended up becoming friends. And uh, she went to college. I, I can't remember what her major was. Maybe it was counseling or, or women's ministries, or maybe it was Bible. I'm, I'm not sure. But when she graduated from college... She didn't know what to do. She was not married. She had a degree in something like I just described, so there wasn't like a clear, like, I'm going to get this next job, and it's real obvious what I'm going to be able to do next. So she just really felt like, well, what am I supposed to do next in my life? You know, what does God want me to do in my life? And and there's this story in the Bible that we often turn to, and sometimes we look at it, and different theologians have turned to it to kind of help us to decide how we are going to determine what's next in our life, and that's the story of Paul on the road to Damascus. And sometimes that's tied in, because they'll say, see, Paul had a calling on his life, and so therefore there will be a calling on you. So there's some that might tell Brooke something like this, well, God has a calling on your life. And you don't want to miss it, and so you want to make sure you know what it is, and you want to follow it. And so, of course, she feeling at the time she didn't know what she was supposed to be doing, she has gotten a lot of anxiety. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Was there a call from God that I missed? You know, how, do I, how did I get this far and not know what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, I'm going to Bible college, I'm serving at my church, I'm trying to do what God wants. How come I just have no idea what to do next? And so sometimes people will say, you just need to look for your Paul experience where you're going on the road to Damascus. And so as we look through the story this morning, I want to look at it in the eyes of trying to say, let's look at what Paul went through and how much does it compare to what we might go through. And I'm going to argue this morning that in many ways it doesn't compare at all, but there's maybe one way that is very important that I do think we should consider and how we might be able to look at what Paul went through here and how it might apply to us as we try to determine what to do. Now, some of you might be in a Brooks type situation, but probably not because you just graduated from college and are not sure what to do next. Some of you maybe recently retired and you're trying to figure out what to do next. Maybe some of you have recently had a health change in your life that has changed things in the way what you could or could not do before and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. Some of you are maybe deciding where you want to go to college or you're deciding what to do next in your career. There's sometimes we go through these crossroads and we want to say, God, what am I supposed to do next? What would you have me do? So as we look at this, I'd like to think about how we might try to be determining what God would want for us and what this story might have on it. Now, of course, I'm not going to try to solve all questions related to figuring out what God might have for us. You know, we're not going to cover it as sort of a topical thing. We're just going to go through this passage and see what it might have. So it says here in verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And ask him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that he found, so that if he found any belonging to the way, 
So the way was a name for early Christians that sometimes referred to like the way of the Lord or the way of God, and the way maybe was a little bit of shorthand to describe Christians. It kind of seems to point to the way, the way of salvation. So belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul here, he is really, really upset, breathing threats and murder. Now, Threats and murder, did the people, the high priest, have the authority to to actually execute people? It does seem like this execution was still in the hands of the Romans, but it seems like maybe if the high priest asked the Romans to, if they were able to kill these people, maybe they would get permission. So some of these threats of murder may have been more threats than actual being able to do it, but clearly saw... Saul has a very visceral response to these Christians, these people that are a part of the way. And he wants to not only persecute people in Jerusalem, he now wants to go to Damascus and continue this persecution. Now he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now there's like three descriptions of this. So the others are in Acts 22 and Acts 26. I'm not going to do a ton of comparison between the two, uh, the three this morning, but this is the first time this happens. It uses the word, this word shine, this light from heaven flashed or shine around. The term refers to something shining all around an area. So the appearance of Jesus lights all up all that Paul sees. We know this is a supernatural act. So You have to think what he's going through here. He's walking one place to another. He's on his way to persecute. And you think, what is in Saul's mind as he goes? I'm doing the right thing. Have you ever been so sure in your life you were right? You are just, just about couldn't be more sure that you were right about something. I bet you this is how Paul felt. I am doing God's work. I am persecuting these Christians. They're bad. They're going, they're, they think they're, this Messiah guy is real. They're following this false God. I've never been more sure in my life. And then have you ever been confronted where at some point you had to go, boy, that thing that I was so sure about that I, I thought I knew just, I mean, I just would have bet my life on it just about, I realized I was wrong. Suddenly, light bulb moment for Paul, like a literal one. In this case, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The light bulb comes on, and not only is there a light, there's a voice. Why are you persecuting me? You know, Christ identifies so much with the church. And sometimes the church is referred to as the body of Christ. When you persecute the body of Christ, it's, it's like you're persecuting Christ himself. Why are you persecuting me? Now, let's think about this in the context of what I said in the intro with trying to determine God's will for your life. So, Brooke, what, what should you do next in your life? Have you seen any bright lights lately? Okay, you haven't seen any bright lights. How about God talking to you audibly so people could hear? That hasn't happened yet either? Okay. 
So if we can start comparing something like Brooke or you or me might be going through, I'm not sure the comparison's super great here so far. Not super apples to apples. So we go on and it says, And he said, Who are you, Lord? Lord, not meaning knowing he was God. Lord, maybe just like a, a sign of respect. Like, who, you know. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Whew. Boy, was he wrong, right? So sure. So sure. And he was so wrong. And God confronts him and tells him what to do. Because so oftentimes in our life, this is what we want. God, just tell me what to do. Just come and tell me. Maybe your kids, something's going on with them, or your grandkids, and you feel like you need to do something, you just have no idea what to do. Do I push harder? Do I back off? Do I, you know, I just, I just don't know what to do. God, how about you just tell me what to do? Do I quit this job? Should I really go to college? Am I going to end up with a bunch of debt that I'm never, you know, what? Just, just tell me. Tell me what I should do. Paul, that's exactly come Paul saw here, that is actually what happens. Oh, Brooke would have just loved it if God would have went and told her what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And there's some the, the different, there's the three different Ideas, uh, the three different stories kind of have different aspects of hearing and seeing and whatnot. But what I think we need to understand the point here is this was not a private experience. Saul didn't go out in the woods by himself and supposedly hear some voices and supposedly see some light that was totally unverifiable that only he knew about. This was something that everyone saw. And while I certainly didn't hang around with Brooke that much, not only I, nor anyone else that I'm aware of, ever saw a time in which God shone some light where they also saw and heard some voice or some, none of that, right? What a crazy, unique experience this was. It was not a private, personal, this is only for you. It's actually something that the people around him experienced, not to the same degree, but they saw it as well. And I think this is important because if you want to say, God talked to me, he does it in many, many different ways. But oftentimes, it's not a private personal experience that no one else can verify. In this case, especially, this is something that everyone could see. You know, when Christ died and rose again, this isn't something that was just some sort of private act that no one could see. I'll tell you about it later. Everyone saw that he was dead. Everyone saw that he was put in the grave. Everyone saw that he rose again. This was like a verifiable act. And what happens here to Paul is a verifiable thing. So if Brooke is hoping that she's going to be able to have some hearing from God and the way she's going to say, I know the reason I'm going to hear from God is because God talked to Paul, then what should she be expecting? Something that is verifiable for more people than just her. We go on to verse 8. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. So Paul is blind here in some way. 
and for three days he was without sight and neither ate or drank. After that happened to me, I might not eat or drink either. Or, in my case, I might eat a ton and drink a ton. I don't know how different people are different. I might be the opposite, but he does not either eat or drink. It, it seems like it's probably not just because he's not eating or drinking, just because he's scared or nervous or something like, you know, when I, when I get nervous I, or, or I get stressed, I eat a lot. It seems like it's probably more of a fasting religious thing where he's trying to figure out what in the world just happened to me. Now, we don't fast too much in our time today, but it was something they did more back then, and maybe we should consider doing more. We certainly don't have any trouble missing meals, and so maybe it's something that we could say, something we could consider giving up in order to focus more on God. And so during this time, this is what he has seemed to do. He's given up food and drink. He's trying to figure out what happened, what God wants for him. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Now, this is intrigue. This is a vision. This probably is more of a private experience. God does things in different ways. And now we think that Ananias, we know from Acts 22, that he was a Jewish believer. And when he responds, here I am, Lord, this is an indication that he is ready to obey. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. Now, this street is interesting. It actually still exists today. There is still a street. It's likely changed a little bit. It runs east and west in the eastern portion of the old city. It's got a different name that I could mispronounce for you if you'd like. But there was a, probably a very wide street, about 50 feet in width, a very fashionable street. Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he was praying. And in this case, Paul was going to get, had an experience which told him basically what he was going to be doing for the rest of his life. Ananias' case, what was, when God came to him his vision, what did he end up doing? This was just one thing he did in a very short period of time. This is very different, right? God didn't come to Ananias and say, let me lay out the rest of your life for you. This is who you're supposed to marry. This is the job you're supposed to have. This is, you know, none of that. I, I just need you to do me a favor, do, being a little flippant. I just need you to do me a favor and go over there and, you know, do this thing for me here with Paul. Whereas Paul, it was, oh, by the way, this whole thing you've been doing, this, your life, that was all totally wrong. You're getting all that not right. You're killing the very people you're, you know, you're supposed to be working with here. So I'm going to flip you at 180 degrees. Verse 12, and he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay on his hands to him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. I'm sure I've said this before. But all of us that always say something like, if God would just come talk to me in person, then I would really do it. If he would just come tell me, I would really do it. I think we would probably, maybe. But we see over and over in the Bible another example. Even when God talks to Ananias directly, even then it's hard for him do the right thing. Oh God, you want me to talk to him? Maybe you haven't heard. 
right? Maybe you haven't heard, so I'm just going to fill you in here. Um, yeah, Paul, not a great guy. You know, this is, you sure this is, you know, I, Saul, Saul, I mean, you know, not a great guy. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all to call your name. Not a good guy, and I don't really want to go to jail, so let's talk about it. But of course, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You know, people in Brooke's situation and us, we, we, we want a we Paul-like experience. It's not sounding really that great here, is it? How much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God, a specific plan for Paul, a job that he needed to do that was really big, that included writing some really important letters that ended up being, of course, in the canon of Scripture, and he suffered much for it. So if we want to say, I would like a Paul experience, okay, you're going to have a a vision from God, it's going to be something verifiable that other people can see, then maybe someone else is going to have a vision. They're going to come to you and, you know, like confirm up a little bit, tell you what's going on and kind of work with that. I mean, is this, is this what we should expect is going to happen to Brooke to be able to have her know what she should do after she's graduated college? Like, how comparable are these two situations? I mean, as you can tell here, I'm totally tipping my head. I don't think they're like comparable hardly at all. For Brooke to say, I'm not sure what to do after college. I need a Paul experience in my life. How many people had Paul experiences in their life? Like Paul, like that's it. Like that's the one. And maybe some similar in the Bible or whatnot. But to think that each one of us are going to have Jesus blind us momentarily while we're on a trip seems like it's maybe not a great comparison. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may again regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. So you say, so is there anything we can get from this story that tells us maybe how we can move forward in our life and what we should do? I'll give you a couple thoughts. First of all, God's had something for you to do. I don't think you're going to miss the message. I don't think you're going to miss it. If Brooke was worried that God had some sort of thing that she was supposed to be doing and she hadn't read the tea leaves quite right, comparing that to the Paul situation, I don't think God, when he has something he really wants you to do, he lets you miss it. Second thing is, you know what God always wants us to do? 
He wants us to be serving him. And whether he comes and to you, because he doesn't do it to every person in the Bible, whether he comes to you and blinds you temporarily, because he wants you to become one of the, one, an apostle and end up writing things that become part of Scripture. You know what he always wants us to be doing? Serving him and doing the right thing. If you think you're missing some big, crazy, God told me to marry this person, I should have went to this college, I don't really think you need to worry about it. If he really wanted you to marry such and such a person or go to such and such a college, and he absolutely wanted to tell you, he, you would have known. You might have told him no. You might have you refused. But it wouldn't have been the problem of God being able to get the message to you. You know, I, I remember another guy named, named Cliff, and he was just like paranoid about who he was going to marry. Because what if I marry the wrong one? It's like, well, if I marry the wrong, you should be married about marrying the wrong person. It was not that. It was like God had this one person for me, and if I marry that person, then they're not going to get to marry the person they were supposed to marry, and like the dominoes started falling, and it was just like, you know, all worried about it. Listen, if God has something he wants to do, I think he'll let you know. I think our trouble is not that God has not revealed enough stuff for us to do. It's pretty thick. The problem is not that we don't know what to do. The trouble is keeping our hearts right, doing it, staying in the word, and obeying him. You know, what happened to Brooke? As far as I know, she has a great life, right? She, went to, she ended up going to grad school. She did it for a year. She eventually met someone, got married, has family, whatever, 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 whatever. It's all fine. Worked out great for her. And you know? If we stay obeying him, staying in his word, it's all going to work out fine for us too. And we don't have to have a once-in-a-lifetime experience like Paul here in order to move on to the next phase of our life. We might be scared. We might be nervous. We might not be sure what to do. It might be difficult. But God will be with us. And we don't have to have scales fall off of our eyes in order to be able to take those next steps. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much. Lord, we do need you. We need you to know how to live our life, Lord. We just, we just want to be selfish so bad. We just we want, to, we want to do things for us, and we're just so thankful that your word teaches us a better way to live, the way to live. And I just pray that we wouldn't just worry ourselves to death that, we're supposed to get some sort of secret message in, the bo- in a bottle, but that we would stay following your word, obeying you, knowing that you'll take care of the rest. We pray these things.